Thank you for checking out the City Church Podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know you are loved. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you. Pastor Brent is on vacation. He'll be back next week. And every summer, Pastor Brent asks Pastor Mauro Giugenti to come and minister to us from Italy. Pastor Giugenti is our missionary from this church to Italy. And Pastor Brent asked me this morning to give a little bit more of an introduction for him. Of course, many of you know him because he's been ministering for the last 22 years every summer. But there's so many people that are joining the church recently that he felt that you needed to know a little bit more about him. In the late 70s, he and Connie, his wife, were attending the University of Toronto uh, with part-time jobs and started a Bible study in the basement of one of his friends. It soon outgrew the basement and they moved to... uh, a banquet hall by one of the friends. Then it soon outgrew the banquet hall and they rented for the first time a bank, an old bank which had to be renovated. So that began the church that he started in Midtown Toronto. About 22 years later, he had a visitation from the Lord and the Lord asked him if he would go to Italy as a missionary, pull up stakes, leave, his, leave Canada, and go to Italy. After 22 years of being in Italy, they have started four Bible schools, three in Italy and one in Greece. They've graduated 700 students. He started, he and Connie personally started four churches. 22 other churches have been started out of the Bible schools. 60, approximately 60 pastors consider him either their bishop or their mentor. He has authored one book, which you can uh, purchase this morning at the book table. So we, we, we appreciate Connie and Morrow. And since that time, of course, we has, he has added to the, to the group three beautiful daughters, and we're glad that they're here with us from Italy. Give them a blessing this morning. Stand up so they can see you. So we're glad that they're here this morning. So I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind standing with me and giving the man of God a welcome to this pulpit today. Love you. Buongiorno! Eh, io speak Italian, you Comodi. That means get comfortable, be at ease. What an introduction. What can, what can you say after all of that? Of course, we love uh, the Coulter family, Dr. Coulter. Pastor Brent, I talked to him earlier in the week. I promised him I wouldn't do too much damage in his church except to the forces of darkness. Are we okay with that and, and evil? And so we're just uh, grateful to be here. This is a family to us. 
You saw I brought uh, my three daughters. Connie says hello. I do have a wife, you know, she really exists. I know some people ask me, you know, but actually this morning she's preaching uh, elsewhere because she's, uh, she's a preacher too. Thank God for that. Amen? So we can have uh, good ministry teams. We are your missionaries to Europe. We're based in Italy and we're reaching Europe. Uh, I minister in uh, uh, Spain, France, Switzerland, Germany, uh, Croatia, Albania, former Yugoslavia, down into uh, Macedonia and then Greece. And then if you can picture your mind uh, how Europe is with, you know, Italy, the boot-shaped nation in the middle, right at the heart of the Mediterranean countries I just mentioned, and then uh, right into northern Africa because Sicily is... uh, just off the coast of Africa. And so that is a really good base to reach into Turkey and then uh, Morocco, Tunisia, and then Egypt, Syria, Libya. You recognize any of these nations in, uh, in the news here in Canada? That's the hottest spot in the world right now. It's a trouble spot. And... Uh, you know, I travel, many times I go with, I've gone with groups of uh, pastors, either American or Canadian, and uh, I've learned that when I cross borders, I don't stay in line with them, I go on my own. How many of you have dual citizenship, uh, one way or another? See, many of you, I have an Italian passport and Canadian passport, so going into Turkey, I use my Italian passport. And you understand that while, you know, they're questioning and, and, and stopping the others, as soon as they see my Italian passport, they're not, they're not even looking at the passport anymore. They're just stamping, okay, approved, come in. And they're talking to me, oh, Italy, beautiful, Rome, beautiful, yeah. I always want to go there, like this, right? And they never suspect an Italian to be a preacher of the gospel. <laughs> it's perfect undercover work. That's why it's strategic, see? And we need to get uh, uh, the gospel preached in those nations. And so you think of Italy, you don't really think of a mission field usually, but it is. You think, you know, you think of Italy, you think of uh, wine, song, pizza, and the Pope, right? (laughs) But uh, Europe right now is the number one mission continent on the planet. Because it is the continent that has the least amount of born-again believers. We're not talking denomination or not. We're talking belonging to a denomination does not make you a Christian. Does not save you. And does not guarantee that your sins are forgiven and that you will be in heaven for all of eternity. That's the measuring stick. Not denomination in any denomination. It doesn't matter if you're born a Baptist, a Pentecostal, a Catholic, or an Independent. If you don't receive Jesus in your heart, your sins are not forgiven, and you're not going to heaven, and you're not born again. And so by that measure, by that Bible measure, uh, there, is more, there are more Christians in South America, there's more Christians in the U.S., and there's more Christians in Southern Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, 
There's more Christians in China, there's more Christians in India than there are in Europe right now, in Europe and Northern Africa. Europe has uh, 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 less than 2% are born again. Le less than 2 out of 100 people that you meet are Christians, are born again. In Korea, 30% are born again. Can you imagine that? And so we're at the right place at the right time. Last year, uh, during the horrible, one of the horrible attacks in France, we had a pastor from Syria in our pulpit. Can you imagine that? You know why that's significant? Because the, uh, the passports of those who were, the documents of those who perpetrated the attack in France were Syrians. That same week, I had a born-again, spirit-filled pastor from Syria in our pulpit. And, and he came through, he had to get his way into Turkey, and then from Turkey for Istanbul, it's easy to fly him. And... Uh, and and, and and we're helping him, and we're preaching the gospel, and because you're our partners, we're helping him. I really like that particular, I mean, we could stay here hours this morning with uh, stories about, interesting stories about how God is using us, but I really like that one because uh, he believes that Syria can be changed, and that whole region can be changed with the gospel of Jesus. Did I do something? See, I get excited. I start throwing things, banging things. And <clears throat> Do you believe that? We have to believe that. We cannot have less faith in Jesus than extremists have in their own cause. Because many times the problem is not God and the problem is not the world. The problem are the believers. You know, you get up and you say, uh, we can change Europe. We can change Croatia. We can change Syria. We can change nations like that. And most of the time it's the Christians that will go, well, well, who do you think you are? And Someone with ill intentions has no problem saying, I can take one person, twist their mind, and affect Paris, affect Belgium, affect Germany. That's sad, isn't it? They believe that one person can affect a nation, and the follower, many followers of Jesus don't believe we can do anything. But you know, Jesus is the one who changes hearts, isn't he? I mean... He's a specialist in it. And he's a specialist in taking people with twisted minds who have harmful intentions. Do you know anybody in the New Testament who had a twisted mind and harmful intention and had it in for the church and was knocked off his horse? What am I talking about? Right? He was not a nice guy. He was out killing Christians and they got knocked off his horse he had letters to go arrest Christians and harm them. Can you imagine that? And instantly Jesus changed his life and turned him into the greatest apostle to the nations. We have to believe that we can do that. Amen? So I'm saying that to you because you've been our partners for 22 years. From the beginning, you pray for us and you help us. And this is so important. So we had the name of the pastor from Syria is Seraphim. 
but that's not his real name, but he asks us to use a fictitious name because he risked his life. You know, you think that week, Dr. Coulter, that I had him, it cured complaining in the church in Verona, in Italy. Because, you know, you think you have a bad day because your hair dryer doesn't work. Or you have a bad hair day, or you got a flat tire or something, right? Him and his family risk their life every time they go to church. And they were happier than a lot of my congregation members. That, that, that cured that. They, really, the, they started to say, we have nothing to complain about. And, you know, and, and, we, and we blessed him, and then we gave him an offering, like you do with your guests here. And when he got the offering, he told us, he had tears in his eyes, Dr. Coulter. He said, with this offering for the next year, I can live in Syria. I don't have to think about money anymore. He couldn't stop crying. Are you listening? And it wasn't like, you know, I'll tell you how much it was. It was, it, it was 2,000 euros. It was $2,600. Can you imagine that? And I thought, wow, there's something we can do here. So I asked him, you know, if he has, because you do have to be careful. You, do, you know, you don't want people that want to leave the country, and you don't want people who are just con artists. You want genuine. So I asked him, do you have, do you have, uh, 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 do you know pastors? Do you have colleagues who are born again, want to preach the gospel? And he said, yes. So we are expect. Now, you see, when I went there 22 years ago, I didn't know we were going to do this. I didn't know because I, I couldn't even understand it. And I couldn't even take it if God had told me. And, but now I understand that we set up a hub in Italy, which is a, a missionary hub for North America, because even from Canada and the U.S. is difficult to get to, 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 to actually get in touch and contact and get, and get finances to, to that part of the world. Because the governments, rightly, they have a lot of filters because of uh, terrorism, right? But like this, we're just your missionary hub to Europe to reach these difficult parts of the world that really need the gospel. But I believe... I trust you believe the same. I believe that one person who plants a church with a church can affect a whole city. Do you believe that? If one crazy, ill-intentioned person can, you know, affect a city for evil and do evil, I believe all much more one person that we plant as a seed with the gospel of Jesus that helps people and sets people free and makes your life better can change a whole city. I believe that with my whole heart. And that's the strategy. The strategy is, you understand that I could go to Istanbul, rent a hall, take a nice picture, work through an interpreter, have 20 people, have three, four people get saved, and then it ends there. But it's a lot more effective if I can find People who are called, Turkish people who are called, Syrians who are called, who speak the language and who stay there. Today, you and I are preaching here. We're in church in Mississauga, but you and I are also in church in Syria. How do you feel about that? Isn't that good? <laughs> That's so important. Every Sunday I preach the gospel through a seraphim in Syria. You understand? Now, people who don't do anything, who don't lift a finger and watch the news should feel bad. But you and I don't feel bad because we're doing something about it. Amen? We're praying and we're helping. 
So we're really going to expand that part. It's important that because you're our partners, you know this. We're really going to expand that part because really we're right there for Italy. The Italy operation will always keep on going, obviously. But I realize now, Connie and I have realized that it's, it really is a base to, uh, to do a bigger work than that. And so I just wanted to tell you because you've been with us from the beginning and it's important that, uh, that you know that. And I, and I trust that that was a blessing. And so um, I wrote my first book <laughs> for, uh, for uh, uh, 36 years now. I have been translating books and promoting other ministers. And so this book is called Fearless in the Light, Staying Calm in Today's Anxious World. And uh, in the cover it says Max Gergenti. That's me, okay, Max. It's, uh, that's my middle name. I didn't just make it up. My name is Mauro Massimo, Maximilian Massimo in Italian Gergenti. And uh, I don't have a ghostwriter. And, and, and nobody listened to my tapes and put it in book form. I sat behind a computer and prayed, and, and what, what you read in these pages is what God put in my heart. And so uh, I'm going to tell you about this a little bit because I'll, I'll be preaching out of it, and then uh, uh, um, it, uh, it ties into what I just said now, how, how the book was born. Um, it's called Fearless in the Light. It's, it's uh, the... The main scripture is Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. We'll read it in a moment. And uh, in April, I was in London on the subway in transit from Gatwick Airport to Heathrow Airport. I was on the subway on the Westminster Line in April. And uh, they stopped all trains. And they said an incident has taken place and they stopped all the trains. Now, I didn't know what had happened because I'm on the subway. I had no idea what's happening. I don't even need to know what's happening. Uh, and I open, I, I, I do what I always do when things happen to me that I don't know or that are uncertain or that are unexpected. I open my Bible. So I had my tablet, I opened it. This time I went to Psalm 27. I have different places that I can go to. Psalm 91, but this time I went to Psalm 27. And then about 15, 20 minutes later, they released the train and I got to the, air, I got to the hotel. And you know, when you walk in the hotel, they have television screens in the lobby. And then I saw on the news, a terrorist attack, Westminster. I thought, so that's what's happening. But I didn't know it until I got to the hotel. Then when I got home, uh, one of my daughters asked me about that. They always ask me intelligent questions. You know, Dr. Coulter, they're not five years old. You know, when they were five years old, I could say, because dad said so. I can't say anymore because dad said so. Now, you know, you have to actually answer them from the Bible. So she asked me a few questions. And then I said, I said nonchalantly in passing, I just said, well, you know, I did, well, dad, what did you think? I said, well, I didn't know what was going on. But I said, I do what I always do. I open my Bible, you know, if, if I'm flying and there's turbulence, I'll open my Bible. Uh, anything going on, I open my Bible. And I said to her, like all Christians do. And she looked at me real funny and she said, you know, I don't think, I don't know a lot of Christians that do that. So I said, well, don't, don't, don't we need to fill our hearts and our minds with the word of God? And so she said, dad, 
You, you know when they say dad. You know when they say dad. You know they do it when they're two. They do it when they're five. And they do it when they're 20. Uh, it doesn't matter. That was when they go in the dad mode like that. Then you know they said maybe you should teach on this. So I did. Not only did I teach. I, 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 uh, I wrote a book on it. So and when, when, you, when you buy the book. You're helping us preach the gospel. It's another way you help us uh, preach the gospel so it can bless you, I trust, and, and you're helping us preach the gospel. Psalm 27, are you ready? And, you know, I, I don't have to preach a long sermon this morning because you're going to read it in the book, so just buy the book and read it. I just have to give you some headline. That's all. Right? Hey, boy, you took a long time. with. Well, you know, that, that was... Uh, I, I need to share... Connie always tells me to share what we're doing. And uh, Psalm 27, do you have it? So verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Can you answer that question, please? Nobody. And then continuing in verse 1, it says, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What's the answer to that question? Nobody. And then verse 2 says, When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. And though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And though war may rise against me, in this, I will still be confident. And one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. But how many things? How many? I'd like to see your prayer list, how many things you're seeking. If it just has one thing. I'll get to it that in a minute. It's really important. Because many times we think we need a whole lot of things because we have a whole lot of problems. And in reality, in the midst of a whole lot of problems, no matter what the problems are, we only need one thing. Because one thing will solve them all. And the one thing is what David said, is the presence of God, the presence of God. He said, one thing I've desired of the Lord, verse 4, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. So this, is where, this is why you need to get, fill your mind with the word and with the heart when something is happening and you don't know what it is and there's some trouble because God hides you and trouble can't find you if you're hidden in God. So he says, in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, verse 5. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me, and he shall set me high upon a rock. The rock being the word, the rock being Jesus. Verse 6, now my head shall be lifted above up my enemies all around me, and therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle, I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Amen? Isn't that a powerful song? Isn't that good? 
So the, uh, the, the, the how many of you have a New King James Bible? Do you have a New King James Bible? What's the title of the psalm? The title that, that the translators put in. What's it called? And what? Exuberant. Do you see that word? An exuberant declaration of faith. Now think about that. That's what this is. The, and most commentaries put it like that too. This is an exuberant declaration of faith. David goes overboard here with his confidence in saying, whenever I find myself in difficult situations, I'm really confident that God will protect me and will get me out of trouble. And he's so confident that the translators of the New King James and most commentaries put it like that. It's like David is really going all out here. It's like, in your face, devil, bring it on. No matter what you bring on, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my strength. Just come on, come on, bring it on. Because no matter what you throw at me, God is on my side. God is my strength, and God will get me out of it. See, <clears throat> he couldn't care less about Calvinism, Arminianism. Is it God? Is it the devil? Is it, I couldn't care less. If it's God, if it's the devil, if it's my decisions, whatever it is, come on. Now, just not to hold you in suspense, I don't believe God causes trouble, okay? I am not, I'm the anti-Calvinist par excellence, okay? So I don't believe that. I believe there's a lot of things that happen that are not God's will. Uh, if, if, if you called your wife names this week or you got upset with it, that was not God's will. It was not God, it was you. Repent. <laughs> right? Well, it was, right? But that's, not, I'm not talking about that. Stay on topic. I'm talking to myself. Stay on topic. So, right? So, but the point is, it doesn't matter. David is like when he was in front of Goliath. Do you remember that? Goliath was trying to intimidate him. And he said, come on. And then, you know, he didn't run away from Goliath. Saul, King Saul, and all the other soldiers were running away from Goliath. He ran towards them. And Goliath tried to intimidate him and said, Mom, who are you? You're just a kid. You have no experience, you know. You, you, you don't even know how to use a, a, a weapons and an armor. You don't even have an armor. And David said, you know, he, he just ran towards him and he said, he just would not be, David would not be intimidated. And I believe we need to be the same way. The apostle Paul said, we have the same spirit of faith, Paul said. And he's quoting David and he said, David believed and spoke, so we need to believe and speak. And David here is believing and speaking in the face of trouble. Now, the interesting thing about David and about Paul and about the spirit of faith is that, you know, we think that they were saying these things, you know, Lord is my strength. God delivered me. He will continue to deliver me. God helped me. He will continue to help me. God protect me in the past. He will continue to protect me. We think that they said that, you know, in church when everything was going well. Oh, we think that they said that lying on a beach somewhere with a nice, you know, pineapple drink, lying on a hammock, everything going well. 
the interesting thing is that when David said, I believe and therefore speak, and when Paul quoted him, both David and Paul were facing problems. They were facing difficulties, and in the face of difficulties, they said, I believe and therefore I speak, because that's the time to believe and to speak about how big God is, how powerful God is, and how much he looks after you and he protects you. Uh, anybody have some issues that you have to fix or deal with in your life? Wow, there's three honest people at City Church. The rest of you need to deal with lying. Maybe it's because I caught you unprepared. Let's try again. Anybody have some it things in life, you know, that are not lining up to God's will and they need to be lined up? There's some more honest people. Now, all of you who did not raise your hand, please come up here. You preach and I'll sit there because I haven't got that one licked yet. I don't know how to not have issues or problems. You understand what I mean by issues? Maybe I use the wrong word. I'm not talking about, you know, you're doing big sin. I'm just talking about I have things that, I have things that God... In scriptures, God promised me things, and not everything in my life is, is lining up to that. And so, or there's some difficulties to overcome, or things here and things there. So then, we're talking to the right crowd. And, and, and so, David said, in the midst of problems, he said, it's important to understand that. Because, you know, lots of times people say, well, I don't feel like saying, you know, uh, God is good, or, you know, or God, or God deliver me, or, uh, you know, I'm already free. How can I say that when I have issues? Well, both David and Paul in the front of issues declared these things. And it's right in the face of problems that we need to be strong in our faith and in our confidence. So in verse 1, uh, uh, David says, Psalm 27, verse 1, I think that uh, they can put the scripture up if you can. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And so David starts out by declaring that the Lord is light. And I say the Lord is light, please. Now, why would he do that? Well, because light back then, as it is now, is considered something powerful, isn't it? And, 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 you know, can anybody here travel at the speed of light? Do you have a car that can travel at the speed of light? God does. He does. He travels faster than light. He is light. So, and I understand that back then they did not have the scientific understanding that we have today. You know, today we know that light is a photon and it's part, it acts like a particle sometimes. Sometimes it acts like a wave. It kind of, you know, depends what you're doing. Now, those who study physics and like physics are going like this, right? And, and it's really kind of sneaky and a little mysterious, even still today with all the understanding that we have. Because if, if you set up your experiment to look for a wave, it'll act like a wave. And if you set up your experiment to, to act like a particle, it will act like a particle. It's kind of like, really the ultimate, what you say is what you get. <laughs> and so, you know, but back then I know David didn't have that understanding, but even back then in those ancient times, when they looked at the sun, they realized, whoa, you still can't look at the sun, and, and, and it's so powerful that it'll blind you. And they had fire, and they, had, and they could feel the heat. 
So in their mind, that's why the Bible is accurate. In their mind, 3,000 years ago, just like today for us, when you say light, you're saying something really powerful. Isn't that interesting? See, it still applies. So it says, the Lord is my light, and the point is that, who is it that created light? God did. So light, in the sense of the sun, or a fire, or the light that we have in the building, is created by God. So if God created something that powerful, imagine how powerful God is. Huh? And so what David is doing is he's magnifying God. Magnify. Oh, magnify the Lord, he said in one psalm. When you magnify, it's like a magnifying glass. <coughs> you make something bigger so you can see it better. Now, you're not exaggerating because in a, in a laboratory, when they magnify a cell, what they see is actually there. So you're not making anything up. It's not like you're not creating anything. You're not creating God in your image, you know, strong and powerful. He is strong and powerful. But when you magnify, you can see him better. And when I see him better, when I declare, Lord, you're strong. Lord, you're my salvation. Lord, you're my fortress. I magnify God and I make him big. And the bigger God gets, the smaller the problems become. Many times the issue is that I'm looking at the problem like a huge mountain like this, and I go, oh, how big is that? And then I get paralyzed in front of the giant, in front of a mountain. And a mountain, a giant, a problem can be anything. It can be like David said. David talked about inward anxiety and fear that he had. Or he talked about people who were talking bad about him and wanted to hurt him. Do you have anybody that doesn't like you? That gossips, that can go right from, you know, uh, uh, verbal, verbal uh, abuse, verbal uh, uh, um, opposition, right to in certain parts of the world. Now, thank God it's not so in Canada. We need to thank God for that. But in other parts of the world, you know, it's actual physical persecution. They can actually kill. The most they can do here to you is make fun of you and criticize you because you go to that crazy city church. What are you doing? A young pastor like that. And, and they lift their hands. Think, think how evil they are here. You know, they lift their hands. And they clap their hands. And they jump for worship. That's the worst they can do for you is just make fun of you or criticize you. But, you know, it's too late because once you walk through those doors, you're like tagged. That's it. You're one of them that go to the city church. And thank God for that because it's a good church. <laughs> Amen? Don't, shouldn't we go to a church where we believe that God is good? That God answers prayer? That God helps? Yeah, I don't know why people criticize us for that. What, 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 are we, what are we preachers supposed to do in church? Tell you God is bad and he won't answer your prayer? And you'll never know what God will do. Well, you might as well just stay home. Might as well go play golf. It's more useful than that. Church is a place where we go and we get built up. That God is good, God is on your side, God answers prayer. God wants you to, God wants things to turn out well in life. Amen, God protects you and helps you, which is what Psalm 27 is all about. 
And so when David is magnifying and he says, you know, many of you have gone on an airplane, right? And, you, you, you know, you can be at the feet of a mountain, the Rocky Mountains, and the mountain is huge. But once you get up to five, 6,000 feet in the air, they become tiny specks. That's what you do when you magnify God. God becomes big and the problem becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and is significant because the Lord is your light. And the Lord is light. And light is powerful enough, but because God is light and he created light, he's infinitely more powerful than light could ever be. And then he said, the Lord is my salvation. And salvation doesn't just mean he forgives your sins. <coughs> it means he rescues us from danger and destruction. He's a present help in time of trouble. It means that we can turn to him and rely for him to save us you remember when the storm arose and the disciples were in the boat? Do you remember that? What was Jesus doing? Say it out loud. He was really worried, wasn't he? That's how worried he was. He was sleeping. And then you remember they woke him up because it wasn't the waves that woke him up. It wasn't the wind that woke him up. It was the disciples shouting and shaking him. And I repeat, that's how much he was worried. And then when he woke up, he goes, his, in essence, his answer was, you woke me up for this? Uh, how many things are you waking up God for that you should just be using the name of Jesus for? And then, you know, he got up and he rebuked it, but then but he, rebuked, he calmed the storm, but then he told them off, why? Because they should have taken care of it. With, with all the weapons that God... See, David is here is taking care of this. He's taking care of the fear and of the enemies and of the problems by declaring how big God is and by speaking to the problems and by believing with the heart and speaking with the mouth. Do you remember when Moses was in front of the Red Sea? Really, God, you know, is not what religiosity says he is. We think that if you're in front of the Red Sea in trouble, God will just, you know, from heaven come down and help you. But he's not going to help you unless you ask him. That's just a Bible reality. I know it's not a religious reality, but it's a Bible reality. Because Moses, if you go read in the book of Exodus, God's answer is really strange. So he's in front of the Red Sea, and he cries out to God, and God says to him, you go read it. What do you want from me? And it's like Moses, you know, my thought would be, well, excuse me, you know. Like if I go forward, I'm going to drown. I look back and I see, you know, the chariots of the Egyptians coming here and they're going to kill us. So if I stay here, I'm going to die. If I go forward, we're going to drown. The people are mad at me. If I don't do anything, they're going to kill me. My own people are killing me. Excuse me, God, for bothering you today. But it's the same response that Jesus had in the boat, like father, like son, you know. I said, why do you bother for this? And then God said to Moses, do you remember what he said? What do you have in your hand? <coughs> A rod. What did God give him? A rod. And then he says, use it. Because God will always say, use whatever you have in your hand. He doesn't use what we don't have. He uses what we have. Whatever you have is enough. 
to overcome any problems that you're facing, but you have to use it. So with, Mo with Moses, it was a rod. With, uh, with, uh, with, with uh, 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 um, Gideon, it was the, the jawbone of a donkey. Now, he didn't have a rod. And God uses different things. He didn't say to Gideon, you know, go get yourself a rod because with Moses we use a rod and the way we do things in this church is we use the rod. According to tradition, we use the rod. God doesn't think like that. He says, what do you have? The jawbone of a donkey. Why don't they use that? And he defeated enemies. When, uh, do you remember when they were in the field with Jesus? Jesus asked, what do we have? We have five buns and five fishes. Well, let's use that. He didn't say, Peter, go get a rod because that's what we do. Or go get a, a bone of a donkey because that's the way it's done. No, he said, what do we have? So God always asks you, what do you have? It's the same with giving, isn't it? So many people use the excuse about giving. Well, you know, we're renovating the building. Well, I don't have $1,000 to give. Well, God... Nobody asks you to give a thousand, but God will ask you, what do you have? He will always ask you to do what you can with what you have because God will always use what you have. And what you always have is a heart that can believe and a mouth that can speak. You always have that, right? And so David is doing that and he's saying, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation. Why should I be afraid? We already answered the question. And then he says, the Lord is my fortress. Everybody say fortress. See, and a fortress is not a castle. A fortress is, 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 is a fortified castle, usually in an elevated place. <coughs> I document all that in my book. And many commentaries say that when a fortress, when, when a castle is really a fortress, it is so well equipped that it can withstand any siege from any enemy. So what David is saying is, enemy, you can throw anything that you want to at me. The Lord is my fortress. In another psalm, he says, I run into the fortress, which means that I am so well equipped and so well supplied that no matter what the enemy throws at you, you can resist and overcome every time because that's what a fortress says. And then he says, why should I tremble? Everybody say tremble, please. That's the New Life Translation. That's very good. Notice that the first word is afraid and the second one is tremble because David uses two different words for fear. And the first word is the generic word for fear, what we would call anxiety. So David is saying, whether I'm dealing with anxiety or whether I'm dealing with something that makes me tremble, that's a specific fear caused by a specific event. So, you, you know, somebody can be just anxious, generally speaking, about this and that and the other. But if you're hiking in the Rocky Mountains and you run into a hungry grizzly bear, that general anxiety will turn into a very specific fear. 
it'll make you tremble. It's the type of event that causes your heart to palpitate and you sweat and you know, you feel a knot here and you start to go like this. So what David is saying is this, is whether I have to deal with general anxiety or whether there's a specific event that happens, doesn't matter. Because the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, he is my fortress and he protects me. And then going on to verse 2, David moves on to, he says, when evil people come to devour me, enemies and foes attack me, they stumble and they fall. <coughs> ha ha. Can you go ha ha? <laughs> All right. Now I talk about you know, the difference between an enemy and a foe. An enemy and somebody who opposes you. But the point is this, it doesn't matter. The point is, David is saying, they come against me to make me fall, but instead, they're going to fall. And he didn't say that he trips them up. The beauty of trusting God is that we know that we don't fight against flesh and blood. People are not our problem. We don't have to attack people. We don't have to hurt people. We don't have to, you know, treat them like they treat us. We can pray for them, love them. Jesus took this to another level. He said, those who want to harm you, your enemies, do them good. And then stand by and watch as we trust God. We can stand by and watch. Anything that they throw at us to make us fall is going to make them fall. And you don't have to lift a finger to do anything to make them fall. And it's, in the Hebrew, it's emphatic. They said, meaning it, it's, it's underlined, it's emphasized. They came against me to hurt me, but instead they fell. They wanted to make me fall, but they fell. Do you remember what Joseph told his brothers? He said, you meant to hurt me when you threw me in the pit, but God got me out of it. And then I was thrown in the prison and God got me out of it. He got me out of every problem. Doesn't matter if it was the devil, if it was other people, doesn't matter. The point is that life will throw problems at us and God's role is to get us out of them. It's all I'm interested in is, you know, God, that's why he's a redeemer. That's what redeem means. Redeem means to rescue. By paying a price and he already paid the price. And then in verse 3, David continues and he says, though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Can you see he's over the top? So he's gone from fear, general fear, to specific fear, to people, because the enemy is one or two people. There's an escalation. And now he's talking about an army surrounding him. Army, he says, I still am not afraid. I'm not afraid of fear, I'm not afraid of anxiety, and I'm not afraid of people, and I'm not afraid of an army. And an army is like an organized number, large number of people who want to do you in. And then he says it escalates even more. He says, even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Isn't that in your face? He's saying, doesn't matter what happens. And when he's saying about an army, he's not talking about all out. Have you ever had days where it's like, it's like, man, you know, things are going wrong. Has that ever happened to you? It only Does it happen in Mississauga? It only happens to... Right? You get up, you get up late, the alarm doesn't go off, and you spill the milk, 
and then, you know, you get the, the washing machine breaks down, you got a flat tire, and then, you know, you go to the doctor, and the doctor, you're just doing a checkup, and he says, you know, there's something wrong, and we got to do further tests. That's what he's talking about. And it's, it's like, can we say this? The, the war, can we say this? It's like all hell is breaking loose. Like, what's going on? David says, doesn't matter. He said, I am confident. Anybody, anybody do, conf, do confident, come on. Give me confident. I am confident. No, do it with attitude, come on. Because that's what David has. He's got attitude here. He says, I am confident. Say it with me like that. Come on, be Italian. Go like this. Give me a good fella type of thing. Right? Okay, let's try it again. One, two, three. Give me the attitude like this. I am confident. In your face, devil. In your face, problem. There's nothing that the enemy can throw at you that God cannot defend you protect you, and get you out of. Give me the next verse, please. And then he says, one thing I ask of the Lord. I'm going to conclude now. One thing. Everybody say one thing. It's what I said before. One thing. You think with all different problems, you think, I need a new car. I need a miracle for the lump. I need this, I need that, I need a new suit, I need a new job. And those are things that God wants to give you. But here's the thing is, no matter what you're facing, we only need one thing. You know what the one thing is? It's the presence of God. This is why David had a heart after God. This is why he succeeded. Because aren't all those things designed to separate us from the presence of God? And can we be honest enough as City Church? Whenever the pressure is on, one of the first things to disappear is the presence of God. Are not God leaving us? I'll say it right. Our, our consciousness or awareness of the presence of God, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. But when the pressure is on, sometimes the last thing we think about is God. And that's what all those things are designed to do. They're designed to distract us and separate us from the presence of God. Jesus said it this way, seek the kingdom of God and everything else is added to you. This is one of the secrets. I have, I have a chapter, I have to stop, but you can say, well, you're not finished. Well, that's why you got to buy my book. And th th There's a whole chapter on that about the fortress, about the, the, the about, there's a chapter called heavy lifting. Let the Lord lift you up. He will lift you up. If you don't lift yourself up, God will lift you up. And then there's a, there's a, the last chapter is called The Secret, and I'm not telling you that. Okay, I can't do that. The secret is this, is the reason why David overcame all the time is because of this, is because no matter what he was facing, he always found the presence of God. And that's the one thing that we have to focus on is the presence of God. No matter what you are facing, we can all face different things. The one thing that will always come to our rescue and solve any issue at all is the presence of God. Therefore, our battle is not people. My battle is not against the lump. My battle is not against the job or the rent. Do you understand? My battle is to keep my mind and my heart on the presence of God. 
in the midst of all, that's the secret, in the midst of all those things, and the presence of God will rescue me every time. Amen? Let's just close our eyes for a moment and thank God. Father, we thank you this morning in Jesus' name. I thank you for these wonderful, precious, respectful people who listen to the ministry of the word this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just break the bread of the word. You make it apply to our individual situation. And Father, I pray if, if there's anybody here this morning that is not saved, they're not sure they're going to heaven. They're not sure they're born again. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you draw them to Jesus. I thank you, Father. For showing everyone here how to believe with the heart and speak with the mouth. Imitate David and always find your presence in every situation. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you say, uh, Pastor Max, I, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't even know what that means, being born again. We would like to pray with you this morning. Please don't go home without making sure that you are right with God and that you're going to spend all of eternity with God. It's the most important decision you will ever make. So I'd like everybody to just close their eyes for a moment. And if you're here and you say, ah, please pray with me. Of course, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to have you stand up or anything. But right in your seat where you are, just pray this with me. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me. Jesus, come in my heart. I give you my life. Forgive all my sins. Give me eternal life. Fill me with your peace and your presence. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now that's all it takes. Thank you for your support. If you want to connect with us, you can find us online at thecitychurch.ca.